You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, we see God working in so many different ways. Uh, here in Lexington, uh, hearing about down in Vision Atlanta, we see these, these things happening. And something that's been cool to see is um, just within the staff, we get to see a lot of the things that God works out behind the scenes. And even just this, this sermon, this whole Sunday morning, this service, seeing God put it together, where uh, we got a, our Pastor Paul texted the staff on Friday and was like, hey, uh, Courtney's going to share about Pickett Elementary, and then uh, Pete's going to share about Envision, and I texted back. I was like finishing up my sermon. I was like, well, that's great because I'm literally going to talk about both those things in my sermon. So uh, it's cool to see how God has been, you know, just, I mean, these things behind the scenes that we don't get to see all the time, uh, but He's working, even when we don't see in the small things. So I just wanted to share that uh, from an insider perspective, getting to see these things come together. So last week, uh, we started just a, a two-week little mini-series, uh, really on missions. And we laid the groundwork uh, last week, really kind of theologically and biblically, you know, show, you know, the foundation from which we as a church uh, engage in God's mission, the Missio Dei, and what that looks like in terms of missions uh, carrying out this, this Missio Dei. And so uh, I just want to quickly go over a couple uh, definitions that we gave last week, specifically between mission and missions. Uh, just to recap for those who were here and for those who weren't to kind of know uh, what some of the language I'm going to be using today. We said mission, with no S on the end, is God's sending activity to bring fallen people from every tribe, people, nation, and language into his kingdom to worship him. Okay, so everything God is doing, sending to bring people from every tribe, nation, language, tongue into his kingdom, ultimately to worship him. All right? Now, missions is the church's efforts to carry out God's mission in the world by crossing cultural or linguistic boundaries. We said that missions is how we carry out God's mission or complete the mission, all right? And the main thing that we really hit on was that mission is not just grounded in Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. It is 100% there. Even more so, that command comes out of the very nature of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as a missionary God, the missionary Father, missionary Son, missionary Spirit. And we look throughout the, the story of Scripture how God from the very beginning is sending, He's going, he's, he's sending Himself, He's sending people, He's sending angels to carry out His mission in this world of bringing people into His kingdom to worship Him. And so that, that's kind of a recap of really what we talked about last week which really set us up to talk about this week's discussion. And I mentioned at the end of last week that because God is a missionary God, and we are the people of God, the church, and we are to reflect His nature and His character in this world, that means that we are a missionary people. That we, the church, are a missionary people. This is who we are. And today I want to talk about, you know, what is our part here at First Alliance Church in God's mission, specifically. Uh, last week was more the theological, biblical grounding. This week's going to be very practical, all right? 
And, you know, how can we help to make Revelation 7 a reality? Where it says there's all these languages, nations, tribes, and tongues around the throne of God worshiping Him. You know, can we even do that? Can we play a part in Revelation 7, making that become a reality? And what would it look like for our entire congregation to be sold out for the mission of God? Just think about that. What would that look like? Now, the past couple months, I've been studying First uh, Thessalonians, and uh, I've, I've really in, enjoyed it, and because pretty much in First Thessalonians, Paul is just pretty much telling them how excited he is to hear about their faith and their love. He's just so happy that, you know, this church that he planted, they are following the Lord, and he, he just can't express in enough ways the joy that he has hearing about their love and their hope that is going out into the world. And, you know, as I thought about this question, what would First Alliance Church look like if every single one of us was sold out for the mission of God? I thought we would look like the church in Thessalonica. We would look like the church in Thessalonica. And act, actually, I see uh, Acts 1.8 fulfilled in 1 Thessalonians 1. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Acts 1.8 is where Jesus says to the disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And we see the three spheres of missions here, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that actually creates an outline for the rest of the book of Acts. Now, there's a similar outline in 1 Thessalonians 1. Now, uh, Acts 17, if you go ahead and turn there, this isn't going to be our main text, but I want to read Acts 17, verses 1 through 9, to give us some more context to uh, the, the first epistle of Thessalonians. So, Acts 17, uh, 1 through 9. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, uh, they first visit Thessalonica during Paul's second missionary journey. And this is probably around 50 AD, so about 20 years after uh, Jesus' resurrection. And this is what Acts uh, 17, 1-9 says. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And actually, we'll read verse 10 as well. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So after proclaiming the gospel, and some Jews come to faith, but even, even more Gentiles come to faith, uh, Paul gets run out of town, to next town over. Now, remember, we said that from the beginning, God's mission was always more than just about Abraham 
and his family and ultimately the people of Israel. But the goal was always the nations. That was always the scope of God's mission, bringing all nations. All nations on earth will be blessed through you, he says to Abraham. Now, we see this, uh, we see this here. And with these, these Greeks, these Gentiles coming into the faith. And so eventually, uh, they, they're in Thessalonica for about a month. They get run off to the next town. And eventually, Paul has to leave Berea as well and go down to Athens. Now, I have a map here for us just to kind of help us uh, see. Okay, so that red uh, little pin at the top, that's where Thessalonica is. All right, so you have Italy here. You have Jerusalem down here. And this is where Thessalonica is. Uh, and then you have Athens down here, and then right next to Athens is Corinth, which isn't on the map. But this is where Paul is writing from in Corinth. He's writing First Thessalonians. And while in Corinth, Timothy returns from Thessalonica, from the church, and he, he gives a report to Paul about what's going on there and the issues they're facing. And Timothy gives a good report. And this is why Paul is so excited. But he also tells him about some of the, the issues they're facing. And so 1 Thessalonians is actually written, they think, uh, possibly within just a couple months after Paul planted the church at Thessalonica. So if you want to go and turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, that's where we're going to be working out of today. And we're going to see that in 1 Thessalonians 1, that it really is a similar outline to Acts 1.8. The three spheres of missions, local, domestic, and international. It says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come." At the end of last year, uh, the board and the elders and staff and some of other church leaders uh, got together to talk about, you know, what direction are we heading as a church? You know, we just got the mortgage paid off. Uh, we have these extra funds. And so, you know, now what? Where are we heading? And so uh, we met for a couple months, and something that kept coming back to the forefront of the discussion was missions. No matter what, I mean, among other things that came up, it was like this, the conversation always circled back to missions. That we sense God moving us in this direction. Of, you know, we are engaged in missions as a church, but, but we want to be so even more. And then actually, 
a couple months ago during, it was either a board or elder meeting, um, we were discussing the specifics of what this looks like for, for First Alliance Church and what it would look like moving forward. And Pastor Paul, whether he knew it or not, actually cast a Acts 1-8 vision for us as a church when it comes to our engagement in missions. And specifically the three spheres that I've mentioned. The local missions, domestic missions, and international missions. Which, very biblical, sounds like a lot like Acts 1-8. And as I said, we actually see this same outline here in 1 Thessalonians 1. Where we see the gospel spread through the Thessalonian church to these three areas. It starts rather than in Jerusalem, Thessalonica. And rather going to Judea and Samaria, it goes to Macedonia and Achaia. And to the ends of the earth, Paul says here, it's gone out everywhere. And so we see the same, same outline here in 1 Thessalonians. And one of the other parallels we see in verse 5, Paul says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Power in the Holy Spirit. Same words used in Acts 1.8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then the Holy Spirit sent Paul to Macedonia, and the people of Thessalonica experienced the power and presence of the Spirit. And verse 6 tells us the result was that the people became imitators of the apostles and the Lord when they received the word of the Lord. The faith, hope, and love that Paul commends them for, just a couple verses earlier, are actually being shown in the city of Thessalonica. Their faith, their hope, and their love. And this is before their faith sounded out into the surrounding regions, the surrounding counties and states. And it was evident in their local sphere, Thessalonica. Now, there's several important implications for us here in Lexington from these verses. First, we must be empowered by the missionary spirit. We need plans. We need strategies. We need people. We need funds. We need resources. And ultimately, we need the Holy Spirit, the missionary spirit, indwelling us and us walking in the fullness of the spirit to carry out our mission here in Lexington. All those other things are good, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, they won't get the job done. So that's the first thing. We need the Spirit's empowerment. And secondly, we need to be a community that's walking in holiness together. We are imitators of Christ, and how we live our lives shows people who Christ is, whether we do that well or poorly. And so, so how, do we, how do we do this as a community? walking in the Spirit together so that our faith and our hope and our love shine forth the glory and holiness of God in the message of salvation only found in Jesus Christ. That if we do this and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and do this, walking in the Spirit together as a community, not a bunch of disconnected individuals, but as a community together, that, that will greatly impact Lexington for the kingdom of God. Amen. So, this is how Thessal- or missions happen in Thessalonica, and it's how it's going to happen here in Lexington. 
And so what might local missions look like here in Lexington? Now, you might have seen on your way in or this week, uh, we have some sprinklers out in the front yard. And that's not just because we want the grass to look nice. Um, That may be a result that comes of it, but we're not just trying to water the grass. Uh, The plan at this point is for that to become a soccer field. Just for the youth to play on? Partially, no, no, no. That will happen, but ultimately the purpose of that becoming a soccer field is a means with connecting with the people in our community. And so there's several ethnic groups in our community that currently have little to no outreach from churches trying to reach them with the gospel, trying to build relationships with them and share the gospel. And as I said last week, one of the most important things for missionaries to do is to learn the language of the people that they're going to be working with. And there's an international language spoken all around the world, and it's not English. It's soccer. Soccer is an international language that allows communication to happen between people of different ethnic groups, different socio-political, socio-economic situations. And so on every continent, and probably in almost every single country on this earth, the language of soccer, or football, the real football, is spoken. In, but here's the thing. Playing soccer with people out on that field is not the ultimate goal. The worship of Jesus is. We said that, that was the ultimate goal of missions, that missions is not ultimate. Worship is. And so if we start to bring people out on that field to play soccer, we're not just going out there to make our lungs stronger and to have a good time. That will happen. But the ultimate goal of, is to, to build these relationships with people, to share the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And so that they can enter into the fold, the chorus of Revelation 7, where people from every tribe, lang- language, and tongue will be singing around the throne and the Lamb. And it's going to take a commitment from this church and this local missions effort, the whole church. Now, some of you might be thinking, how in the world are we going to make contact with these people? Well, it's already begun. And actually, uh, this connection that we have with Pickett Elementary, uh, a lot of these students that we're going to be making backpacks for and that uh, the VBS made over 250 meals for, a lot of these students are ethnic minorities. And so this partnership with Pickett Elementary is going to be a direct opportunity to get connected with these people that we're trying to reach out to through the soccer ministry and another, a lot of other things because the thing is that may look like picking up students in a van after school and bring them here and providing a meal and play soccer. So guess what? Just because you don't play soccer, you don't like sports, guess what? we got plenty of opportunities for you to serve in. This is going to take a community effort, a group effort. It's not just going to be one of us. It's not just going to be a group of us. It's going to need to be the whole church doing this together. And the, the principal is very excited about it. I know some, we have some teachers here in this church at Pickett Elementary, and they're very excited about this partnership that we have in trying to actually reach out and minister the hope of the gospel to those right down the street from us. And so... The question is, okay, can't we just do local missions? 
right? Because there's this need right around us. You know, we can't just, we, we can't overlook this. So there's so much need around us. Can't we just focus on local missions? And the answer is no. And in fact, not only is it no, but as we do local missions, that will inevitably move into the next sphere of missions, which is domestic missions. And so in verses 7 and 8 in 1 Thessalonians, it's apparent that the gospel did not just stay in Thessalonica, that the Thessalonian believers became an example to the other churches in the surrounding regions. Now think about that. Our engagement with missions actually has a positive impact on the churches around us. So that's a positive, unintended result, that in moving out to bring the gospel to the nations, it's going to encourage the churches and our fellow believers around us to say, hey, we, we need to do this too. We need to be involved in what God is doing here. And so it says that it moved out into Macedonia and Achaia. Now, I don't know if we still have that map available, um, but Thessalonica, there we go. So Thessalonica, like I said, is in this northern region. This is the region of Macedonia up here, and then down here we have Achaia. And Paul says that the gospel has sounded forth out into Macedonia and Achaia. Now, I, I love this. The Greek word used there, sounded forth, it's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. And it means to echo out. This is actually the word we get, this is where we get echo from. The Greek word is ex echo. And so he's saying the gospel has sounded out, it's echoing out into the surrounding regions from you. And it's incredible how much meaning can be packed into one word because the verb tense that Paul uses, the perfect tense, is saying it is continuing on. The ripple effects of the, the gospel sounding out, echoing out into Macedonia and Achaia, the surrounding regions, it's continuing to go, and it's going, and it's going, going. And this is the power of the gospel that we don't know the ripple effects that this could have throughout our region and throughout history. When we're talking about domestic missions today, what exactly are we talking about? So, in our context, what we mean is missions that move beyond our local area, so our Thessalonica, into our surrounding regions. So, let's say Davidson County or the surrounding counties, Guilford, Forsyth, these kind of things. Or we could think of the states, but when we're talking about domestic missions, we're talking about cross-cultural ministry, still in our country, but moving across ethnic boundaries, really outside of our local community. And so uh, we have several opportunities to engage in this sphere of missions as well. We currently have five missionaries who uh, we support as a church. And with some of the adjustments happening in the Christian Missionary Alliance with the new Great Commission Fund, we're trying to figure out partnerships. You know, we have to be more strategic about the international workers we partner with. Two of those international workers, or uh, missionaries, are domestic. And we heard from uh, Pete this morning at Envision Atlanta. Now, they're in Clarkston. 
at least from what I got from the Envision Atlanta page on Envision, there's over 700 people groups in the metro Atlanta area. And we heard there's dozens and dozens of them that are unreached people groups, which means they, they have very little to no Christians in their midst and no church that can sustain outreach to them. And so Clarkston has become a hub for the expansion of the gospel amongst unreached people groups. And it's, it's a very strategic place because, and it sounds a lot like Paul planning a church in Thessalonica because Thessalonica was at the crossroads of two main Roman roads. And it was at a seaport. So people were coming all over the world to Thessalonica. And as people come in, there's this church there, and people are sharing the gospel. And then as the, the traders move on down the road or to the next port, the gospel is spreading out from there. And we're hearing what God is doing there in Vision Atlanta. And the goal is not to just plant churches there in Clarkston amongst these people groups. Yes. And the goal, as far as I understand, is for those Christians to then go back to their countries and share the gospel there where Westerners can't get back in. And so this is a domestic missions opportunity that we as a church have to partner with Envision Atlanta and, and be on top of the prayer and the finances. Those are essential and vital and we want to be present with the people. We talked about incarnation, that in the same way that Jesus came to this earth, took on human flesh, lived among us, so we want to live among those that we are seeking to bring the gospel to, to reach with the gospel of salvation. Another domestic opportunity is uh, Refuge Community with Paul or, uh, uh, Kyle and Doreen Baum. And they're also working with refugees. And they're looking to plant uh, multicultural churches among the 10,000 refugees there in High Point. 10,000. And they've been using the international language soccer to build relationships with some of these students. And it's been really cool because... Uh, through our district events, such as the middle school retreat and winter blast and now life, uh, some of our students have gotten to know uh, some, of these, uh, some of these students there that Kyle is working with and building relationships, most of whom are coming from uh, Muslim backgrounds. And it's cool that our students are having the opportunity to share the, the love and light of Christ with these these, these young people who literally would have been out of our reach unless they were brought here to High Point. And so, these are natural ways that we can be involved in God's mission here in our own country. That God is literally bringing the nations to us. Now, some, again, might say, well, if God's bringing the nations to us, why do we still have to go to the nations why? Are international missions still necessary? Well, at the end of verse 8, we see the Thessalonian gospel influence expand to the international sphere. It says, The word of the Lord echoed out not only in the surrounding regions of Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone out everywhere. Everywhere. Once again, sounds a lot like Acts. You'll be my witnesses to the ends 
of the earth, everywhere. And this is incredible when you think about it. This group of believers who had only been following Jesus for probably a couple months at this point was already expanding the gospel internationally. Unbelievable. The gospel was going out for them everywhere. There's currently 7.9 billion people on earth, and it's going up. We're, we're getting close to 8 billion fast. 3.3 billion, with a B, live amongst 7,400, 7,400 unreached people groups. Unreached people groups, less than 2% evangelical, with no church there that could sustain witness to its community, to its own people. 3.3 billion people, almost half of the planet, that do not have gospel access. This is why international missions still exist, because there's not equal opportunity to hear the gospel around the earth. So until Jesus comes back, he said, well, he said, I will be with you to the end of the age, at the end of the Great Commission. So the Great Commission to take the gospel to all nations, to the ends of the earth, everywhere, still applies today until Jesus comes back. And there's obviously an incredible, incredible need. And we as First Alliance Lexington have the opportunity to be involved. Because the age of international missions has not passed, and it won't until Jesus returns. Our missions emphasis this last year was all of Jesus for all the world. All of Jesus for all the world. This year, it's be present. Be present. We need gospel presence. We need to be present in our local communities, in our country, and around the world with the gospel. And we need to send people to be present with them. I mentioned that we had five interna- or missionaries that we supported. Three of them, international, Katie, Christy, and Austin. What would it look like for First Alliance Church to support them even more than we already do? support them financially and with prayer, the foundation prayer. But what would it look like for us to sell out and supporting them where God has them? Maybe taking trips to visit them, to support them in ministry, to build them up in their ministry, to encourage them. I mean, these are, these are different things that we could do. There's also international envision sites it's been since 2015 since our church has gone on an international missions trip. And so we're looking within the next year or so to go on another trip. And it's not just because we want to go overseas. We don't take the gospel to the ends of the earth just because. Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the coming wrath. Our idolatry leads to our condemnation. 
We believe that the wrath of God is necessary because God is just. We believe that hell is a real place that will exist for eternity for those who have not put their faith in Christ. Now, if we as Christians ever give off the idea that we enjoy the concept of hell, we are misrepresenting Christ. When we talk about hell with people, they should know that we're serious, but there should be no hint of this is something that we enjoy as Christians. Don't we wish that it wasn't a real thing? But the scripture spoke very clearly, and it says, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So on top of God being a missionary God and we're a missionary people, and, the, and on top of the fact that Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, on top of that, people's eternity are in the balance about the decision that they make about who Jesus was. Was he God or was he not? Did he rise from the dead or did he not? Was he the way, the truth, and the life or wasn't he? This is the decision that determines every single person's eternity. And this is why it's so urgent because we don't know. Many of you know my father passed away in a sudden freak accident about a year ago. Completely unexpected. We don't know when our time is going to come. We don't know when the people around us who don't know Jesus as their Savior, we don't know when their time is going to come. And so we must always be prepared. We must constantly be going, must constantly be sending to bring the gospel to those who do not yet know. They are, by definition, lost. When we talk about people being lost, by definition, they cannot find their way out. It's like someone being stuck in the wilderness. And we're the church, you know, standing on the outside of the wilderness waiting for people to find their way out. By definition, they cannot find the way. So we must go to those who are lost and show them the way out. Jesus, the way. Because we are a missionary people. So 1 Thessalonians gives us this beautiful picture of the gospel expanding from the local to the domestic to the international sphere of missions. And as the people of God, our involvement in missions is not optional because it's rooted in the very heart and nature of our missionary God. Thus, we, the church, the people of God, are a missionary people. And we see God as opening the doors for us to live out this reality. And if you're interested in knowing more about how you can help to make Revelation 7-9 a reality, where every tribe, language, nation, and tongue is worshiping around the throne of God, we're going to be meeting right after this in the library to talk about our missions team. That if you're interested in being part of this missions team, that please come. But hear me on this. This missions team exists to oversee and promote our church's involvement in missions. So it won't just be this group of people doing missions. This group of people will be leading the charge for our whole church to be involved in the mission of God. And so if you're interested, you're not committing by coming, please come and hear more about what this is going to look like.
And one last thing. Here's the beauty of redemption. That in the beginning of our story last week, the story of Scripture, there was one language. And then at Babel, God confused the languages. It was an act of judgment. But in the end, it's not going to go back to one language. What was at first a sign of judgment will then be flipped on its head to be a means of bringing glory and praise to God forever. That is the beauty of the gospel. From one language to many, and it's going to stay that way for all of eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for for being the missionary God that you are. If it were not for your, your heart for us, the lost, that we would, we would be lost for eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this church to be a light here in Lexington, Davidson County, North Carolina, United States, the world over, God. And that we would be an encouragement to other churches to engage in your mission of bringing all people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue into your worship for eternity. In your name, Jesus. Amen.